Just a heads up before we get started, this is a fast-moving story, and we're taping on Thursday afternoon. All right, here's the show. I'll start with an easy question. Tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Natish Pawa. I'm an associate business and tech writer here at Slate.com. And today I am here at the Southern District of New York covering the Sam Bankman Free Trial. Like so many others, Natish is there covering the trial of Sam Bankman Fried, one of the biggest cases of financial fraud ever committed. The trial kicked off this week in downtown Manhattan, right where that other big civil trial was happening. According to Natish, it was a circus. There's already tons of cameras set up. There's a ton of police barricades and cops standing around with a civil trial of a Trump going on, like extra precautions all around. We've got like one guy already coming out here with a sign with some pretty anti-Semitic slogans regarding SBF. So it's uh, it's a little weird, but it's very bustling over here. People are definitely aware that there's some big stuff going on. SBF had been on a very public PR campaign slash self-justification tour until a few months ago when he was sent to jail by a judge frustrated with his pretrial shenanigans. This week marked the first time anyone's seen him in public for months. And he had a different look. No schlubby shorts, no wrinkled t-shirt, and his hair? The rumors are true. He got his haircut, apparently, from (laughs) a fellow inmate. Um, He's definitely skinnier. He's definitely lost weight. Um, I've never seen him be so still. Like, you know, he's always known as being very famously fidgety in interviews, whether with his leg or like putzing around with something with his hands. None of that here. Whenever he um, converses with his lawyers, he does, I I swear, they're probably the most narrow nods I've ever seen. (laughs) Like his face barely moves, but you can tell that he is like moving like up and down somewhat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for like, the entirety of the trial, he's been just like sitting at the desk with his lawyers on a laptop. He usually has like a small word processor up on there. I assume he's typing like notes and recollections and such. To be more serious, this this is technically, I mean, this is the trial of Sam Bankman Freed, but is it fair to say that it maybe feels like the crypto industry is on trial here? Absolutely. And I mean, you could get no better indicator of that than from Sam's lawyer himself, uh, Mark Cohen. In his opening statement, he talked about how this really was like an overlook and view of the crypto industry from 2017 through 2022, which um, recounts the timeline when SBF uh, started his Alameda research company, and then both that and FTX uh, went bankrupt. They said that to try to make the point that like, look, Sam is just like doing what like a smart businessman would do in a very complex space. But I think for a lot of other people, including some very, you know, crypto curious or like crypto positive people I've met here and about or in other online spaces, they view it as no, this is going to be very determinative for our industry. If this guy who was the face of crypto basically for a couple of years, who hobnobbed with all these 
big shot politicians and celebrities who was trying to work with uh, lawmakers on regulations. You know, if this happens to him, then that whole idealistic vision of crypto is pretty much all but dead. So today on the show, the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried is finally here. The government says his company, FTX, was a house of cards built on lies. Sam Bankman-Fried says it was just business as usual in crypto. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Before we jump some more into the trial, let's give listeners a little refresher. We know that FTX collapsed and filed for bankruptcy. Can you kind of catch everyone up on how that how that happened and how that played out? The long and short of it is early November 2022. There were a couple revelations about Sam Bankman-Fried and his businesses that got a lot of international attention. One was a leaked uh, balance sheet from his Alameda Research hedge fund that was leaked to the publication Coindesk. This showed that Alameda's business, despite Sam's reputation as this like genius wealth generator, was actually not as sound or as like sturdy as he'd claimed to be. There was that. And there was obviously some worry among people who'd invested in Sam's businesses or been customers on his exchanges. And Sam, around that time, was, you know, looking for a little bit of assistance or like endorsement from people in the industry to basically, you know, help shore him up again. And it seemed for a while that Binance, which is still the world's uh, largest uh, crypto exchange, that its CEO, Changpin Zhao, was going to come in and help them out. But then he tweeted that he actually is not going to go through this deal and that he has very little confidence in Sam's businesses and is, you know, they're liquidating all their positions. So I think that double whammy just like led to a whole bunch of people who'd originally banked with a FTX or otherwise involved with it, just like kind of taking out all their money in a wide panic. And it turned out that the businesses did not have the customer deposits on hand that they had. So they had to pause withdrawals and eventually file for bankruptcy, which then led Sam to cede total control of his businesses. And eventually, as we now know, led to his investigation and arrest. It kind of starts out like a classic bank run. Um, You know, customers rush to FTX to pull their money and then there's not enough money. But it's my understanding that when investigators started looking into it, they alleged that Bankman-Fried basically took the money <laughs> that was at FDX that customers thought would be there when they needed it because it was an exchange and used it to make investments using another company, a hedge fund, Alameda, right? So he's basically taking money from FTX and giving it to Alameda and then maybe lost it there. There was $8 billion missing? Yep. $8 billion that was just uh, misplaced. It's fine. But (laughs) Sam started Alameda in 2017. He started FTX a couple years later after that. And they were supposed to be completely separate businesses, right? Even though he was 
at the time, CEO of both and majority owner of both. And in 2021, he um, ceded the CEO position of Alameda to um, his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, and another colleague, San Trabuco. And they were supposed to be like, again, kind of making sure that things were not mingled in between. They were doing their own separate things. Alameda Research was this hedge fund with bank accounts. FTX was this wider exchange with an international reach. But as it turns out, there was a lot of FTX money, which mainly was coming from the actual deposits that customers were pouring in. A lot of that was being funneled through Alameda, and a lot of that was being spent from there for a lot of Sam's Sam and his friends' own um, basically personal benefits. You know, you have stories from FTX executives of they bought this yacht, they bought this big mansion, they <laughs> bought all these other goodies mm-hmm. for themselves that they definitely would not have had the means for if they'd not been siphoning all these like millions, billions of dollars. And, you know, traditionally in an, an exchange like this, the revenue is supposed to come from the transaction fees or mm-hmm. things like that. You know, you're not supposed to be just like wholesale taking a customer account and um, putting it elsewhere and then losing it elsewhere so that the customer can't get it back. But it seems to be that's basically what happened. And what's more is one of the ways that FTX gained so many customers was that they promised very high yields to people who put in money with them. So when they came to withdraw because they were concerned about what was going on, they were also promised these uh, big percent yields that obviously um, FTX could not meet because it didn't have the money. It was not there it was not even in Alameda, really. And without the money, what can you do? You get bankruptcy protection. In this case, SBF is facing seven charges, two counts of wire fraud, four counts of conspiracy to commit fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. And it seems like the prosecution has a robust case. Most of SBF's top lieutenants, people like Carolyn Ellison, Gary Wong, and Nishad Singh, are expected to testify against him in court. Meanwhile, SBF's defense team is arguing that this is just how things work in the crypto world. What I could gather from the opening statements and the cross-examination so far is the what it seems like is basically the defense is going with, look, Sam was this busy, brilliant guy. And, you know, even if uh, there were stuff going between uh, Alameda and FTX, it's fine because... Alameda was helping FTX get off the ground. And that's just the way, you know, it should have just continued doing that. And they kept saying in the opening statements, nothing wrong with that. And like this very soft-spoken voice and alleging that the government in its um, opening case laying out these charges was like presenting things out of context or misrepresenting various bits of things or... From what it sounds like um, in this uh, cross-examination I just saw of one of our first witnesses, Adam Didia, a former FTX employee who was there pretty much until the week it all came crashing, they were very much trying to, I think, represent him as someone who'd been coached 
by the government to like tell the truth as they saw it. And it doesn't seem like the judge is very happy with that sort of line of questioning. I'm not sure how the jury will feel about it. So SBF is kind of trying to say this was all just part of doing business. Um, Isn't he also trying to lay some blame um, on his deputies and lieutenants as well, and maybe even his law firm? As I alluded to before, in regard to, you know, Caroline Elson, Sam Trabuco, you know, this whole thing was, okay, like I've ceded control of this. So they are supposed to be the ones in charge. They're supposed to be the ones handling it. And if uh, they did not have it together, it's their fault, right? They messed it up. And meanwhile, I was trying to, trying so hard to be FTX's public face and the guy who was really growing the business. I was out here like, you know, talking to politicians, getting on the marketing, you know, talking to the media. And I don't know, like, it's a very interesting line of argument, not least because part of SBF's very public brand pre-collapse was that he was this wonderkind genius who could just do everything and be everywhere all at once and mm-hmm. make a ton of money in the process. So I'm not sure how they're going to try to square that with this take now that, oh, actually, he did not know things that were going on. And it's other people who were messing it up, even though Sam trusted them. And I mean, that was basically what Sam was trying to say in his little media tour in between FTX's bankruptcy and um, his charges in uh, mid-December of 2022. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was, which points to another failure of oversight on my part um, and uh, failure to appoint someone to be chiefly in charge of that. Uh, But uh, I wasn't trying to commingle funds. But yeah, I mean, it definitely, that definitely did not seem to fly in the court of public opinion. And I guess we'll see if it actually flies in a court of law. Is there anything else that stands out to you from just the first two and a half days? The judge here is very interesting. Um, It's Judge Lewis Kaplan, who's been on the bench for a few decades now. He seems very much like he wants this thing to move really fast and get it done with and make sure that people's time is not being wasted. So, for for example, during this cross-examination, I was just um, referring to the defense would ask questions like, um, oh, yeah, you know, well, because Sam, Sam did this because he was trying so hard to, um, you know, grow the business, right? Mm. Or Sam told you this because uh, he was so concerned about yada, 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 you know, trying to like attribute these details to Sam and the prosecution generally has been objecting to it. There have been a lot of objections. The judge has been very unamused. Clearly, you can see it in his face. Mm-hmm. And actually, just now... Um, when uh, the jury left the room and taking a break. But before we all left the courtroom, the judge uh, told the defense that he was pretty concerned about the way they were lining up their questions and that they needed to kind of curb how long they were taking. And apparently they have another hour more of questions after this, after I go back into the courtroom. But I suspect that Kaplan will want to move it along. So he's not seeming very sympathetic, to say the least, to Sam Bankman-Fried's team. 
it's not like he's universally saying like, uh, oh yeah, um, every objection against them uh, flies, you know, he's allowed others. And I mean, I think he's been generally pretty cooperative with the defense when it comes to jurors and other factors and trial exhibits, the opening statement, which included a whole PowerPoint slideshow. But for the most part, yeah, he's definitely not very impressed with how they seem to be conducting their defense and what they're trying to like put in, I guess, the jury's minds about um, Sam Bankman-Fried in the process. And it's interesting, too, because he's telling the jurors, look, you're trying to objectively litigate this case just based on the evidence that's laid out here. And you need to, you know, not do your own research, not consume all this media or not, you know, confer with anybody else about any of this. But this is also, as evidenced by our conversation right now, one of the most highly covered and anticipated trials in the country. So I think uh, he's definitely got a lot of concerns about how that can affect jury opinion and affect the way that this case is perceived. When we come back, what to expect next from the biggest names in this case? On day two, the prosecution called to the stand someone who has actually lost money with FTX. Um, Did you find um, that compelling? Um, Do you think the jury did? It was an interesting move to start with. Yeah, because a lot of us um, reporters, obviously, we're anticipating the people in the inner circle. But yeah, the Mm -hmm. first person they brought out was someone who lost money in FTX and um, in FTX International. This is a man born in France, based in London, works in uh, commodities in his time. And I think he outlined a pretty, like, persuasive case that, look, SBF had this very, like, media savvy, very heavily online reputation. I saw him all over Twitter. I saw him in these ads. I saw all these celebrities and politicians who were praising him and dapping him up. I saw all this marketing that said that FTX was a safe place to put my money. So, of course, um, you know, I trusted it. And I think the the part of his testimony that really stood out to me was, you know, he was going into that week in November when everything fell apart. There first started to be warning signs of trouble with the Coindesk article and the Alameda balance sheet. And th- meanwhile, throughout that, SBF was tweeting like, look, there are all these rumors coming out, but our assets are fine. You know, FTX is fine. So don't worry about it. And um, this um, this witness said, no, I mean, I looked at that message and I did not worry about it. And so I didn't attempt to withdraw any of my money, even though it seemed like he had enough of both Bitcoins and like fiat in FTX to equate to about $100,000. And so just uh, one or two days afterward, when um, it increasingly became clear that FTX was maybe in a lot more trouble than SBF was letting on, he said, well, then I you know, realized that maybe I shouldn't be trusting these Twitter threads that are trying to reassure me. And I wanted to get my money out. And I never got it. And I still have never gotten it back to this day. 
And yeah, that, that really struck me just as in terms of like, this is a man, SBF, who engendered so much trust that even in a point of crisis, he was still able to persuade at least this customer and I'm sure many others that, look, it'll be all right. Just stick with me. And then they did. And now, obviously, they're furious. Who are the upcoming witnesses that you're looking out for? I know um, Sam Bankman frieds parents are at the courthouse because they're all over Getty images, just images of his parents. Carolyn Ellison, uh, who we've mentioned a few times, is she expected to testify? Who, who, are, we, who are we excited about? Sometime this week, we're going to hear from uh, Gary Wong, who was another like longtime friend of SBF's going back to high school days and um, was an executive at FTX and took a plea deal with uh, prosecutors over his role in all of this. It'll definitely be interesting to hear from him up front about what's going on, especially since his name has already been invoked as you know someone who was in the know as to certain FTX troubles, but, you know, may not have acted in as quick a way as was necessary. Caroline Ellison will definitely come up at some point. It's inevitable. I think a lot of people are really looking forward to that one. But Mm -hmm. I would suspect that they're going to wait for that for a little bit more, because I think they're also going to really, the prosecution, I mean, is going to really emphasize the personal aspect of it, since that's been bared to so many of us. And I suspect we will also hear from a few other FTX uh, executives at various points, like uh, Nishad Singh, who, like Gary Wong, another longtime friend of SBF's Inner Circle member, lived in that infamous Bahamas penthouse with SBF, Caroline, Gary Wong, and others. He was he went to math camp with Sam Bankman Fried. Is that right? They met at uh, some math camp uh, back when SBF was in high school. Um, I mean, these are all like very like academically talented people. This guy who's been um, talking this week, Adam Yabibia, you know, he met um, SBF while they were both studying at MIT. They lived together in the same house. Gary Wong was also there and around and um they stayed in touch enough that, you know, Sam was willing to offer him jobs at his companies um, after they'd graduated. And all these people with all these personal connections to Sam, they all cooperated with prosecutors. And essentially, I mean, they they flipped. They turned on Sam Bankman-Fried, their longtime friend, in Carolyn Ellison's case, an ex-girlfriend. And they're all basically on the other side now, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there have been like varying treatments for various um, people here involved. Like, um, I know that um, Ryan Salem, another rather notorious um, FTX executive, has not like agreed to cooperate with Mm -hmm. prosecutors for this case, Mm -hmm. especially because he's going to be, I think, dealing with the other charges SBF will be facing and will be tried on in March over the more campaign finance oriented aspects of his financial misdeeds. Investigators were very proactive about going after, you know, all these other inner circle members and FTX higher ups and 
From what Adam Yavivia said on the stand, he was able to get an immunity deal for his uh, testimony. And it doesn't seem like he took like a special plea deal or anything because as he tells the story on the stand, um, he quit right when he learned that it's interesting. The story he's telling is that he knew Alameda was getting FTX money even like after 2021, but he wasn't worried about it because he thought that Alameda was just holding the money. But then during that crisis week in November 2022, when he learned that actually Alameda did not have that money because it had been spending it elsewhere, that was the moment he resigned and fled the Bahamas. Is there any chance any of the celebrities will show up at trial? Tom Brady, Larry David, anything like that on on deck? Well, I don't know about them themselves or whether, you know, even their names will be evoked all that often, but we have already gotten a taste of them because the prosecution has, uh, um, and laying out their case about, you know, SBF's connections and the way he convinced so many people is they played, uh, the full ads that, uh, Tom Brady and, uh, Larry David had both, uh, recorded for, um, FTX. A trade? Are you, are you sure? Not a trade trade. I'm trading crypto. FTX is the safest and easiest way to buy and sell crypto. It's the best way to get in the game. And, you know, how much money they were paid for both. And uh, it was really, really a wild trip down memory lane. In Larry David's defense, he expressed skepticism about crypto in the ad itself. I'll just say that. I'm not. I'm not... <laughs> yeah, definitely. His whole messaging there was a little more ambiguous. And I think mm-hmm. in, a, in a style a bit more suited to Larry David, whereas like, Tom Brady, and we haven't seen Steph Curry's ad yet, but I'm sure his name will be brought up too. You know, they were very confidently bolstering this ad. So, so Tish, one thing that struck me while you were talking is this case really isn't about crypto per se. It's a very traditional fraud case. I mean, it, it's not unlike Madoff took people's money, people trusted him but he literally just took their money instead of investing it. And sort of at the core of this case, it's the same thing going on. So I wonder if you had to explain how how this case specifically is about crypto rather than just, you know, another fraud or Ponzi. What, what's the difference? For what it's worth, I think uh, the prosecution is trying to make uh, that point that you're bringing up there that, you know, despite all the this like terminology, the complexities of, you know, digital currency marketplaces. At the end of the day, this is a story about a guy who got a lot of people to trust them and then stole their money. But I think um, the ways that this case will ultimately end up defining crypto is the thing is almost everybody like seems to be wanting some accountability for Sam Bankman Freed here. And not only that, like, if he is, you know, found guilty, and um, if um, the FTX bankruptcy and other things continue apace, I mean, FTX was such a core rock of the crypto economy. Like, you really can't talk about crypto from, you know, 2020 to 2022 without talking about FTX. It was everywhere in the world and and a lot of places in pop culture too you know it decorated the miami heat stadium it uh appeared on jerseys like this is something that was not just a crypto company but something that was definitional to crypto 
I think it's going to be the first shot really that the government takes toward like finally instilling some sort of stronger framework around cryptocurrency. Obviously, um, the SEC has been quite aggressive and quite and making it quite known that, you know, it wants to hold wrongdoers to account here and, you know, regulate certain digital coins like securities and so on and, you know, subject them to the same rules because their whole thing is like exchanges like FTX maybe should not be allowed. There maybe should not be the system that is so readily like open for people to just play with massive amounts of money and then have it be so easily co-opted for other people's purposes. Well, Tish, I'll let you get back to trial. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Natish Pawa is an associate business and tech writer here at Slate. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you can catch me on Slate Money every Saturday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.